All right, we're um, in this series, Why We Do What We Do. And this week, I'm sharing on why, why do we serve. And I want to start with a, a song. I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. Hannah's nervous already. She's like, this wasn't approved. I feel like my voice is a little bit sore already. I was doing some wild harmonies during this morning. Um, don't know if you heard me. Anyway, this is a song by Bob Dylan. Any Bob Dylan fans in the house? Yes? Excellent. Good. It's called You Gotta Serve Somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. A pretty full-on way of putting it. And um, I want to, I propose like we, we change that third line just a little bit. Um, I'm a bit nervous changing one of the greatest songwriters of all time. Fiddling with their, their lyrics is tough, but I'm thinking maybe, well, it may be our own self-interest or You could think about others, but you've got to serve somebody. I think there's a truth in that. We have to serve somebody, our own self-interest, or it could be others. Hannah, I don't know if you're looking for a new lyricist, harmonies, lyric writing. I've got a lot. Chat to me later. Let me know. And I think there's a contrast here. Mike talked already about this tension. There's so many tensions we live in, the joy and the sadness of life, but also I think our own desires and our own needs and those of others. And that's another tension we have to negotiate. The world we live in tells us how to live in one way. We live in this individualistic, hedonistic culture um, which targets that self-interest and actually feeds it and tells us that's good and it markets things at us, this pleasurable life. Our Western culture tells us that that's where you find meaning in things and status and success That's where happiness is found. And in fact, you can buy happiness, I found out this week. Have a look. We've got a world of advertising, a world of images on Facebook and Instagram, um, selling happiness as drinks, as the clothes you wear, your address, your holidays. This advertising dominates. These images dominate our society and our culture. And they keep pulling us back to that self-interest and help keep trying to make us believe that that's where happiness is found in our environment. But it it won't. There's a fellow uh, psychologist, Sean Anker. I'm a big fan of his. He's got this awesome TED Talk, if you've ever got 15 minutes free, about happiness. Um, And he studied happiness at Harvard. Now, I've got an image. This is the Harvard dining hall, would you believe? That's Harvard dining hall. And yeah, I know what you mean. When he first said this, I was like, surprise. Why would you go to Harvard, one of the the most prestigious, beautiful universities in the world, to study happiness? Surely everyone there's just got it worked out. They're driving VWs. They're eating lunch in the hall. They've got it all. They've got it made. But actually, that was the interesting thing. He actually found that our environment can only predict 10% of your happiness. You see, things like this, they don't really have lasting meaning or significance. our brain keeps shifting the goalposts of success and happiness. You get into Harvard and you might feel privileged and special and excited for a while, but then you've got to get good grades. You get good grades, now you've got to get better grades. You get a job, now get a better job. You save up, you buy a car, not good enough, buy a German-engineered VW. If success and happiness is dependent on these environmental factors, well, stuff just gets old. And success just keeps moving over the cognitive horizon. We just keep moving the goalposts. It's a never-ending story. 
And despite our ongoing um, disappointment and disillusionment, we continue to buy into this. Okay, I'm a victim of it as well, just because I'm up here hiding the mic, holding the mic. I love homewares. I love fashion. We buy into this. It's so ingrained in our culture. I'm currently studying um, psychology, and I've got a model here. Mmm, I love a model. And Erickson is this famous um, psychologist who looked at um, the development across the lifespan. Um, and this is his model where there's these eight stages. Some of the teachers here might know what I'm talking about as well. I remember studying it when I did my bachelor. Hannah's nodding. Thank you. Thanks for being with me, Hannah. And anyway, in particular, there's this eighth stage down here, middle adulthood, stagnant, stagnation versus generativity. And each one of these stages, there's a crisis that we face as humans. And Erickson describes this one as the crisis of the need to be needed. We have this innate need to be needed by others, to leave a lasting legacy, to pass on to the next generation. He describes that as generativity, passing on intergenerational meaning or significance. Stagnation, on the other hand, is, is that self-absorption and pushing into those things that the world keeps trying to sell us. This crisis extends across adulthood, and I recently did a, a research on it at uni for a, an, an assignment, and it actually has a lot of significance into older adulthood and retirement. It's that sense of maintaining meaning when things around us are changing as we retire, as we, um, our family move, leave home. And it parent, parenting definitely contributes to it, but it goes beyond that, to volunteering and mentorship and things like that. And then in older age, Erickson describes this final stage about reflecting on your life, a life well lived. And we all can start to relate that things don't actually have that much significance. You're not going to get to the end of your life and be so glad you bought that VW, but you're going to look at the legacy that you left, the generativity that you shared. I think I've got a table as well. And here's some of the characteristics. And you can see pretty quickly which side of the graph you want to be on. But I was reflecting on this for myself, and I can definitely relate to those stagnant ones as well. Do you ever have those moments in life where your selfishness and your stagnant characteristics are just on show? They're just on display for everyone to see. I was reflecting on a time here at Good Life, actually. And we had this coach here, Jason Jagger. Does anyone remember? He actually spoke here a few times. He's really fun. Uh, he was leading this session up in the seminar rooms, and I was privileged enough to get to go along and hear him share. And we're talking about goals and ambitions and dreams and that sort of thing. And the topic of money came up, which it often does. And I was thinking about, and my mind quickly went to this amount of money, $1 million. Seemed like a good goal. At the, at the stage, it was a lot of money. You could... You could easily buy a house a few years ago for a million dollars. And at that stage, I was like, yep, great goal, Greg. That's awesome. So responsible. Pay off the, the mortgage, um, buy a new car, go on a family holiday. Yep, lock it in, $1 million. And anyway, someone else in the group answered the exact same question very differently. They said, um, I'd like to be able to give away more money than I could keep. My little heart sank. And it was that moment of, of self-awareness, of introspection. And it was that realisation that, yeah, maybe I'm missing the mark here. Where are my interests lying? Where is my investment? And not that it was at all pointed at me. It wasn't like this direct shot. They didn't say it and then look at me. 
It was, it was totally an individual reflective moment. You see, stagnation is that selfish state and the result of a selfish life. Generativity is love in action, the service of others. And volunteering and service actually have amazing well-being benefits, okay? Yet, we look at statistics and it's in huge decline. And I think it's because it contrasts our culture so much. But I'm standing here talking about this idea of being generative, but it actually shouldn't be surprising to us at all. This isn't anything new, because we just reflect on the, the person we gather here around, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. This gift from God of service, the whole life of Jesus was a gift of humility and service to, to humanity, to all of us. In 2 Philippians 2, verse 6 to 8, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. True service, true love in action. Then we can go on and we can reflect about events in Jesus' life that talked about Jesus' crucifixion. But also I reflected on that moment of, of servant where Jesus actually knelt before his disciples and in humility washes their feet. It's in John 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come to God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This beautiful moment where Jesus serves his followers, his disciples. He was the rabbi, the teacher, even in that smaller social group, and yet he stoops and serves them and in this small act of loving kindness. Paul Tillich, um, a philosopher and theologian, says that God is not an object that you can love. And he proposes that you can encounter God through giving yourself in acts of love to the world. You love people, and in loving others, that's how you love and you discover God. For me, that emotional connection with God has always been something I've struggled with. You know, people who say, I just love God, that never resonated with me. And that's why I love this statement, because so many times where I've loved and served others and in relationship with others, that's where I've, I've felt connected to God. That's where I've felt, yeah, truly close to God. In 1 John 4, it says, verse 7, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who do, does not love does not know God, for God is love. And if we go right down to verse 11 at the very end, he says, but if we love each other, 
God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. You see, love needs an expression. It needs to be shown in some way. We have this cute pet dog. I think I've got a photo. His name's Bowie, beautiful dog. And my kids, they will tell you how much they love their dog. Just ask them. Bowie's the awesome dog. We love Bowie. Yet, the last time Bowie got fed, I'm not really sure. (laughs) Bowie loves to go for a walk, yet walks, if I graphed it, have been at an all-time low. To me, that's not the kind of love I want to experience. I actually want love that's expressed in action. To me, that's meaningful. We can talk about love, but actually when it's shown in acts of service, that's what love is like. I'd like to quote Bob Goff. Everyone big fan of Bob Goff? Yeah. Love does. That's the title of his book. He actually paraphrases in one of them. Jesus says, let's go out and do stuff. And you'll find out who I am and who you are along the way. It's this call to action. So often we like to sit and grow in knowledge and sit in worship this morning was beautiful. But it's got to go beyond that. I love drinking wine and talking about theology. It's one of my favorite things to do. But Jesus says, it's not by my, my knowledge and intellect you're going to know my disciples. It's actually, no, by their fruit. It's a call to action. In James, we hear that faith without deeds, it's dead. It's, it's useless. What does your faith mean unless there's an expression? Recently, we did the Deep and Wide series. And going through that, we looked at our community and our community responsibility and how um, giving this big, wide, open door and welcoming people in is not just the responsibility of Mike, the staff, of the team who's rostered on, but it's actually all of us, all the time. We carry this banner as Christ's ambassadors and we're all called to do this. The same thing is with service. We're all called to love and serve one another. Now, I think there's two kind of parts to that, this love and service we're called to. The first part, I think, is loving out of our giftings and our talents and our passions. Now, that's the good part. In 1 Peter 4 verse 10, it says, God has given us each of a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. In 1 Corinthians 12, it acknowledges um, all the different giftings we've been given. And it says, use them for unity and use them together for the good of others. Okay, we've got these, these gifts. Mike isn't here now, but Teresa is. And I just want to acknowledge Mike, like, what a visionary, what a great leader. I've loved working with him this year. And pass on our thanks for using your gifts. You and Mike and your whole family are such a gift to our community. And I just want to say thanks for choosing, saying yes to the call here and using your gifts and talents to service. Hannah, I'm so excited you said yes to serving here. La, your energy this morning, the hottie on the keyboard, the knots, the new to our team. Um, I love it. The one on the bass who doesn't want to be talked about, Josiah. Like, thank you for using your gifts and talents to serve our community. That was a powerful moment this morning, and it's all because of your love and your service of us. 
And you could keep going on. There's so many beautiful people here who love and serve in our community using their gifts and talents. But second to that, there's this other side of serving. Let's call it the ugly side of serving. It's the serving out of responsibility. It's the boring. It's the hot, maybe, cold, <laughs> thankless, unnoticed tasks that just need doing, the unpleasant tasks. I don't actually think Jesus was overly passionate about foot washing. I don't think he was like, hey, disciples, I've got this new technique. I rub between the toes and then I scrape the nails out. Like, it, it wasn't like this, this passion. It was this, this serving out of responsibility. It's something that needed to be done. And it showed this heart of love, this love without ego. And just like that, if Jesus is called to serve out of responsibility, so are all of us. We're called to serve out of responsibility as well. Keith and the chair team who set up this morning, well, I'm confident like your spatial awareness is really good and your physical strength is impressive. I don't actually think this is like a lifelong childhood dream of yours. I don't know if you had this poster on your wall as a child. And you're like, that's my dream. I don't really know, but maybe, but I don't think so. I enjoyed coming up with that idea. I, I lolled in my office for about half an hour, picturing Keith with that on his wall. Anyway. No, it's, it's not about that. It was never like this. It's just something needs to be done to serve this community. So when you come in this morning, you're comfortable and you're ready to encounter God in this environment. It's... So Keith, and I know there's so many others on your chair team, Sam and whoever else was here this morning, thank you. Thank you for doing those thankless tasks that just need doing and serving out of responsibility. <laughs> I've got the photo here. It's just making me giggle. Now, I've been in at Good Life for just over 15 years and... Yeah, not long after we joined, our son Hendrix was born and we jumped on the creche team. And then being teachers, Sarah, my wife and I, the hottie on the keys. Um, yeah, babe. Um, we um, yeah, joined Little Angels leading there and the kids' church team. Then after a few years, Sarah took on a role here and we oversaw kids, including Boost on a Friday night. And one of my favourite times that I reflect on is we had this A-team tutoring program, which met once a week, midweek. Some of our local chaplains um, recommended kids from the community who needed that extra support and love. And we had these awesome teachers from our community who volunteered one afternoon a week, and we'd meet here at the centre and tutor them. It was, it was really cool. We'd stop midway through, and we'd have afternoon tea together. And it, it wasn't long before afternoon tea kind of stretched a little bit and became like these long-winded stories and quite theatrical, the kids telling us about everything, going fishing and things like that. And then eventually they were full-blown talent shows. And it was amazing. It was this micro-community was formed and it was joyous. It was wonderful. But service is not always like that. It's not always joyful. It's not always fun. It's not always fulfilling. And yeah, I confess I don't always come with this great attitude of excitement and actually wanting to be here and wanting to serve. Sometimes it's just a choice. And I think choosing to do the hard stuff 
that's actually what develops us in character. If we're just doing our, the easy things, the things we want to do, the things we like, there's no challenge there. It's actually when you don't want to do it and you choose and you push into it and you show up over and over again. That's where the character and God does his best work in us. In Hebrews, it says, run with perseverance the race set before you. Run with perseverance. I don't know if you've been running lately, but it's hard. And long distance running is even harder. Persevering at it is hard. It's tough. In Romans 5, we're reminded that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. A hope in God that won't disappoint. We often shy away from that. We go back to that start where we're pulled by the world into these buying happiness in the pleasant things of life and get tricked by that. But we've actually got to choose to be different. We've got to push into these moments of service, of humility, of laying ourselves down, of putting our egos and our self-interests aside and seeking godliness. And I was reflecting on this as a parent as well. In this community, the great thing is we're, we're almost like a family. We've got the, all the demographics covered. And I reflect as a parent of two teenagers, um, it's hard to also watch others go through hard stuff and do the slog and serve. But we sometimes try and make life as comfortable as we can for our kids and try and give them everything we need, which is great. That's part of being a parent. But also, I'm the first to like, get so frustrated when they don't have that perseverance. They don't show that character and they give up. And then on comes the lecture, you know, back in my day, we didn't have air conditioning and we had the radio. And I'm sure you can beat me. I'm sure we can play that game and you can one-up me for sure. But it's this culture. I think that's how culture is spiralling. We're getting more and more into this buying into what the world has to offer and we're getting further away from the truth of God and his His countercultural kingdom. So how do we build this countercultural kingdom here in our community? What are we going to do to foster it? And I've got four points I came up with. The first one was through ongoing renewal of your heart and mind, transformation through Christ. I think that's where it begins. It begins here with us as individuals and our relationship with God. In Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviour and customs of this world, but let, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. It's a call to be different. And it starts with us as individuals, in our hearts, in our relationships with God. On the back of last week where we talked about prayer, I had this quote from Mother Teresa. She says, I used to believe that prayer changes things, but now I know that prayer changes us and we change things. So prayer. Focus on your relationship with God. That's where it starts. Our second point, through unity and learning. In Acts 2 where it talks about the early church, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. 
unity and focus. We gather together. Dan shared about communion, how all over the world, globally, we gather around, we're united by the symbol of Christ and what he's done. And we gather today united by that. And we have this time where we get to actually challenge one another, to actually learn and grow and push into and mature ourselves, ourselves as Christians. The third one, through role modelling. In Hebrews 12, it talks about um, Jesus being the author and the finisher of our faith. And it calls us to fix our eyes on him. Just as Jesus is our role model, we can actually be role models for each other. And I think, especially for our youth and our kids, they look at us as role models of Christ. And our community, they're not going to be interested in a relationship with God unless we're role modelling what this looks like. We are the role models. We are Christ's ambassadors. So we're called to be role models. And lastly, the fourth point, by practice and encouragement. In Hebrews 10, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. By practice and encouragement. You want to get better at something? You practice it. You do it over and over again. And you persevere in it. That's how you improve. You want to get better at serving and loving? Love and serve people. Choose it. Show up for it. We've been called. I love in that verse how it talks about we've been called in... I didn't actually read it. Towards the end. You've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. I was reading a book this week, and it was talking about how freedom is actually choosing the tough stuff. Because that's not actually freedom when you're just a slave to your desires. If you're just in this cycle of pleasing yourself and doing whatever is comfortable and easy, that's actually what the Bible warns us against, being enslaved to sin and ourselves. But God calls us to step out, to use our freedom, That's the freedom God offers us, is to choose a different trajectory, to choose to do the hard stuff. Earlier this year, we talked about the Beatitudes and that countercultural kingdom that God wants us to show up here and now. And I think God calls us to this life of love. And I think underlying love is service because service is love in action. And we want this community... We don't want to be like the world. We don't want to look like the world or offer that. We have this different hope. We want to shine. Um, we want to stand out. And I think service underlies that in God's love. Serving isn't always easy. It, is always an, it, all, it isn't always fun. But I think it's essential. Essential to create God's kingdom. It's essential for our growth and maturity. And in fact, our own happiness. Now, what I want, don't want to do is these faithful servants after this message to go streaming out and sign up for another 10 things. Actually, I want this to be a, a healthy community. And healthy communities is where everyone pulls their weight and does their little bit. So yeah, as you leave today, I want you to reflect on this message and think, what are your gifts and talents and how are you using them to serve God here or in our broader community? But also, we're a family. And as a family, we all pull our weight And we have responsibilities. So what's your responsibility? How are you going to love and serve here in our community, in our church home? Because service, I think, creates and is going to build this community. And that's how it's going to grow. So if you want to be part of it, 
The triple C form is the best way. I think Josiah's got even, I want to show you how easy it is. Did we get that happening, Josiah? Yeah, yeah, you did. What a guy. You can see that. Look at these things he can do. You click on it, go to contribute, and there's actually about 24 different areas we've listed. If you've got other areas that you are passionate about, we're so open to contact us. But yeah, this is an open invitation, not to serve out of guilt, but to choose to use your freedom to love and serve here, to grow, to build this community. And yep, music team, right on cue. Back to love and service. Let's finish in prayer. God, first of all, we just pause in gratitude. We're grateful for the God that you are, a loving God, a God of service, a God who sent Jesus to show us your true character. Lord, we pray this week and into the future that we're a community who loves and serves, that we're not conformed to this world, but we are a countercultural community that shines your love. So, Lord, thanks for this time together, and we honour you. We're here to serve and love you. Amen.